0: السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يبقه قولي ربنا زدنا علما كتاب الصلاة باب ذكر البيع والشراء على المنبر في المسجد Dhikri mentioning Al buying Washira'i and the selling Al Al on the Mimbar Fil Masjid in the Masjid. Meaning, is it permissible to talk about buying and selling in the masjid? Because we know that buying and selling, business in the masjid is not permissible. Because the Prophet said that if you see anyone engaging in business in the masjid, then what should you say? That may Allah not make you successful in this. So if a person Engages in business in the masjid, that is not allowed. Why? Because a masjid is not built for that purpose. However, such matters, business related, work related, can they be discussed in the masjid? Yes, they can be. It's absolutely permissible. There is no harm in that at all. And obviously, when people get together and when they have, you know, their businesses, their work, it's natural to talk about these things. So the fiqh of buying and selling, it can be spoken about, it can be discussed in the masjid, and it can even be mentioned on the mimbar, meaning the imam also can talk about it. In khutbah also, the imam can address business-related issues. Why? Because this is a matter of halal and haram. It's a part of the sharia. So it is necessary that these matters are made clear to the people. Haddathana Ali ibn Abdullah qala Haddathana Sufyan an Yahya an Amrata an Aishata qalat, she said, Atatha Barirah Barira came to her. Tasaluha, she was asking her, fi kitabatiha concerning her kitaba. What is kitaba? It literally means writing, but it refers to the contract which is between a slave and the owner. What is this contract about? That the slave basically wants to purchase his freedom. The slave wants to purchase his or her freedom from the master. So an agreement is made that such amount of money will be given to you in return of what? My freedom. You can remember the story of Salman al-Farisi. عنه, that how when he was in Medina brought as a slave, he wanted to purchase his freedom eventually. So his master, who was a Jewish man, what did he say? There was a number of date palm trees that he had to grow. So the Prophet ﷺ and the companions, they helped him and together they planted all those date palms. So this woman, Barira, who was a slave woman, she came to Aisha radulahu anha, asking her about her kitabah. Basically she came to her asking for some help. That could you help me in regards to my kitabah so that I can buy my freedom? Faqalat so Aisha radulahu anha, she said, In shi'ti, if you wish, a'taytu, I will give ahlaki. To your owners Meaning if you want I will pay the whole amount To your owners وَيَكُونُ الْوَلَاءُ uli, But the will be for me What is wala? Wala is basically The relationship That is between A freed slave And his ex-master Meaning when a person Frees a slave Then even though The slave is now a free person But still there is a relationship That is between The ex-slave and the ex-master what is this relationship called wala? Which means that if that slave, for example, if he dies, he's got no family. So who will be his heir? Who will be the heir of that slave? The master who previously owned him. And there's some other matters as well, which are related to wala. So she said that if you want, I can pay the entire amount, but because I'm paying the amount, this is why the wala will be for me. Okay, Meaning that relationship of wala will be between you and me, not you and your current owners. وَقَالَ ahluha and her owners, meaning the owners of Barira, they said, In shi'ti, if you wish, meaning they said to Aisha that if you wish, أَعْطَيْتِهَا you can give her ma bakiya, what is remaining, meaning the remainder of the amount that has been agreed upon, which Barira cannot give herself, you can give that much. وَقَالَ Sufyanu, marratan, and Sufyan, the narrator, he said at another time that. In the narration, it is that in shi'ti, that they said, if you wish, a'taqtiha, you can free her. Meaning, if you wish, you can purchase her from us and set her free, but wa wala'u lana, but will be for us. So you see over here what's happening, that Aisha anha, she is saying that I will pay the amount, however the wala will be for me. But the owners are saying no. Whether you pay some of it, or all of it, whatever, wala' will be for us. So basically, they're setting a condition over here that, regardless of who pays, the wala will be for us. فَلَمَّا جَاءَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ, صلى الله عليه وسلم so when the Messenger of Allah came, ذَلِكَ. Aisha reminded him of that. Reminded him of that. It is said that she had mentioned this to him earlier, and now when he came, she reminded him of this issue. That what should I do? فَقَالَ, so he said, ibta'iha Just purchase her. Just buy her from them فَأَعْتِقِيهَا And then you set her free فَإِنَّ الْوَلَاءَ Because indeed the wala is for who? لِمَنْ أَعْتَقَ For the one who sets free The one who sets free He has wala So if you want wala Then you have to buy her So buy her, set her free Wala will be yours ثُمَّ then قَامَ Rasulullah اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ على The Prophet وسلم, he stood on the Mimbar Meaning he went to the masjid Got on the mimbar and addressed the people. وَقَالَ سُفْيَانُ and Sufyan said, at another time, فَصَعِدَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عليه وسلم على Just a slight change of words instead of qama he said صعِدَ. صعِدَ is to ascend. فَقَالَ and when he was on the mimbar, he said ما Balu What is the state of people? Meaning, what's going on, people? يَشْتَرِيُونَ They are setting conditions. Which conditions shuru'tan, which are conditions Laisat fi which are not in the book of Allah. That how come people are setting conditions which are not from the book of Allah, which are not from this religion of ours. What conditions is he referring to? That the owners of bariyah they're saying to Aisha, whether you pay the entire amount or what, regardless of whatever the wala is for us. So. He said, what is wrong with the people that they are setting conditions which are not from the book of Allah? ishtarata Whoever sets a condition, shartan, A condition lay fi Which is not in the book of Allah, فَلَيْسَ Then it is not for him. Wa ishtarata Even if he sets the condition mi A hundred times. Meaning if a person sets a condition, whether it's in marriage or trade, any condition which is not supported from the book of Allah, even if he sets that condition a hundred times, Will it be considered? Will it have any value? No. It's love. It's useless. Kala Aliyun, Ali said, Kala Yahya wa Abdul Wahhabi and Yahya and Amrata, Wakala Jarubnu Aun and Yahya, Kala Samir to Amrata, Kala Tumir to A Ishata, Rawahumalikun Anyhia and Amrata and Nabari Rata Wadam Yakul, Sar Mimba. Just another chain. So anyway in this hadith what do we see? That Balira, the slave woman, she came to Aisha Aishadullah for help. And the owners were setting conditions which are not according to Qur'an and Sunnah. So the Prophet ﷺ suggested to Aisha that just purchase her and then you set her free. Wala will be yours. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he got on the mimba and clarified the issue to the people. And this teaches a very important lesson. That when there is a matter which is of concern to people and they could be doing something wrong, then the truth has to be made clear to them. The correct way has to be made clear to them. Meaning if a mistake is being made by people, even if it's out of ignorance, out of forgetfulness, what is the responsibility of the people of knowledge? That they make it clear. Even if it means they have to do it on the mimbar. Because sometimes people get very offended. That how come in the Jumu'ah khutbah, the imam was talking about, you know, business, or he was talking about the dunya we want to hear about Abu Bakr, we want to hear about the prophets, we want to hear about, you know, great, amazing stories from history. Very good. They're important. But at the same time, matters of halal and haram, they're also very important for us to know. So the imam may mention these matters on the mimbar. No, not the remaining, the whole amount. Because see, they gave her the option, the owners, that if you want, you can give the remainder or you can pay the full and what they're indicating is that you can buy her from us but regardless the wala will be for us but the prophet sallallahu said that no if she purchases her then wala is for her if she sets her free bab al taqadi wal mulazama fi masjid al taqadi what do you think the root is al taqadi is from qaf da good and taqadi over here means making demands Yes, in Urdu there is a word taqadah. So taqadih meaning asking for, demanding. mulazamati. Mulazamah is from lamzai. Mim, lazim, luzum. What does it mean? Hmm? To make compulsory, right? Meaning to stick to something or someone. So mulazamati is to chase up, to follow up with, to not let go fil masjid, in the masjid. Who? Who is not mentioned? But it's understood from the text. And who is it? A debtor. Meaning if someone has borrowed something from another individual, they owe something to someone. So a debtor. And they've taken that loan and they're basically hiding. So if a person who's lent the money, if they come across the debtor in the masjid, can they demand their money in the masjid? Or should they wait to go out of the masjid and then make the demand? Because the thing is that in Muslim societies, what is understood is that people will definitely go to the masjid to pray. So if you cannot find a person in the marketplace, in their house, where will you find them? In the masjid, for sure. Because remember at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, even the munafiqeen, even they would go to the masjid to pray. I remember once my mother was visiting somewhere. It was a certain locality. And there was somebody, some of our family friends who lived there. But she didn't have their number, their contact, nothing at all. But she really wanted to meet them before leaving. So she sent my brother to the masjid. She said, go to the masjid. You'll find uncle over there. You'll definitely find him there. And he did. He did. Why? Because he was someone who goes to masjid regularly. So anyway... So if a person finds the debtor in the masjid He's been avoiding his phone calls His text messages, his reminders, his messages So he finds him in the masjid Can he make the demand right there and then? Yes, he can Because remember that this is not business Business is what? That somebody is buying something Selling, there's profit This is what? Making a demand that please give me my Property back. Give me my money back. And even if the debtor returns the loan immediately over there, even then it is permissible. Because it is what? Qada. It is not bear and shira. It is not buying and selling. It's just returning what belongs to somebody else. And this is permissible in the masjid. That if there's a funeral prayer, what happens? That the family, they make the announcement. If there's anything that is owed to somebody, please come and make the demand right now. So, that's permissible in the masjid. So at-taqaddi wal-mulazama masjid. Likewise, if there is not just money, but any amana, any amana that a person is expected to fulfill, whether it's some work or an assignment or a test paper or anything like that, can the person remind the other? Can he demand from him that before you leave today, I want your assignment? Is it permissible? Yes, it is. So at wal-mulazama masjid, permissible. حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثنا عثمان بن عمر قال أخبرنا يونس عن الزهري عن عبد الله بن كعب بن عن كعب أنه تقاضى تكعب رضي الله عنه, he تقاضى. he demanded his loan meaning what he had lent from who ibn abi hadrad so he demanded from ibn abi hadrad دينا loan له عليه. which was for him on him meaning he owed it to him the masjid in the masjid. So you can imagine Kar anhu he's reminding Ibn Abi Hadrad that give me my money back and I want it now, you've delayed for very long. So in this what happened? So their voices they became loud. They became loud. Because usually, you know people do end up in arguments at, you know, in such situations. فارتفعت اصواتهما حتى until سمعها رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم until the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, he heard their voices. وَهُوَ فِي بَيْتِهِ while he was in his house. So imagine the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was in his house. These two men are arguing in the masjid about the loan and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم heard. So what happened? فخَرَجَ إِلَيْهِمَا So he came out to both of them hatta until kashafa he removed سِجْفَ حُجْرَتِهِ sijf the curtain of حُجْرَتِهِ of his room so he came removed the curtain and fanada and then he called out what did he say ya karb o karb he is calling who? karb radhiyallahu anhu not even abi hadrat and who is karb karb is the one making the demand ibn abi hadrat trying to avoid it so he said, "Ka'ab Razzalah," and he said, "Labbayka, ya Rasulullah." Here I am, O Messenger of Allah. The Prophet sallallahu said, "Darg min deinika هذا. Leave from your loan this." وَأَوْمَأَ and he indicated ilayhi to him, أي شَطْرَ meaning half. So somehow with the hand gesture, he indicated to him that forgive him for half of the loan, leave it, just take half of it. Forgive him for the other half. He said, لَقَدْ فَعَلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ He said, I have already done that, O Messenger of Allah. Meaning, he's saying, done. You command it, it's done. He said, Qum, He said to Ibn Abi Hadra that you stand, فَقْضِهِ and then give him. Meaning return his loan to him. Pay it back to him. Now there are numerous lessons that we learn over here. First of all, we see that a person may demand his money or what is due to him from someone even if it is in the masjid. This is not disrespect for the masjid or for the worshippers over there, no. You can make such demands in the masjid. And if the debtor returns the loan right there and then, that is also permissible. Like I mentioned earlier, this is not business, this is just returning the loan. And it seems like Ka'b radulaw anhu was not letting Ibn Abi Hadrat go. So mulazama, that he's following up with him, not letting him go. You give me my money back, Or else I'm not letting you go. And in that it seems that there was an argument, the voices were raised, and the Prophet ﷺ heard. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he almost interfered, okay, and he resolved their dispute. So this shows to us that when people are having a dispute, and they're not coming to any agreement, so what should you do? Just stand and watch, and listen and enjoy. Because that's what many people do. They start watching others as they're arguing back and forth, yelling at one another. People just stand by and watch and get amused sometimes. They laugh at how one person is yelling and how the other person is responding. No. When you see people disputing with each other, what is your responsibility? That you do islah. But you do islah, you reform, if it is within your capacity, if it is within your ability. Not that if you interfere, you will create more problems. If you can actually solve the situation or help it calm down at least, then you are responsible for coming in between and doing islah. And many times it happens that the issue itself may be very small or very easy to resolve. Like over here, we see that one person is demanding and the other person is refusing to give. The Prophet said, forgive him for half of it. And he said to the other, return him his loan. So it was very easy to resolve. But what happens? That when people are arguing, then instead of thinking about solving the problem, they think about how to defend themselves. And like that, the problem only escalates. So it's necessary that when we see such disputes, we need to resolve them. We need to resolve them to the best of our ability. You know, in certain situations, there are people who are, you can say, who have authority. For example, if two students are arguing and their teacher is not around, what is your responsibility? That you go, inform the teacher, bring her immediately so that she can resolve the situation. But if the teacher is not there at all, students are fighting outside the building, for instance, then what should you do? Say that, no, no, it's not my duty. I'm not their teacher. I can't say anything to them. No. You have to. It's your moral obligation to go and stop that façade, to go and stop that dispute, because it will escalate. It will escalate. Because amr bil ma'roof nahiyanil munkar. When there is munkar, it is your obligation to stop that. And always think about it like this: that people who are, for example, if they're children, if they're arguing, they're having a fight. Don't look at them as somebody else's children. Somebody else's students No, look at them as your own children Would you want your children to be in in such a situation If your child is fighting with someone in this manner Would you not go and stop them You would So remember that this is our obligation That we have to resolve such disputes In whatever capacity that we can Either by bringing it to the attention of people in authority And if that's not possible At that given time Then doing something yourself No matter what can be done Meaning whatever that is within your ability and we see over here how the Prophet beautifully resolved the situation. Hmm? He encouraged Ka'b anhu forgive him for half of it. And he told the other man Ibn Abi Hadrat go pay him. And look at the response of Ka'b radulahu anhu Laqad fa'altu It's done. Already done. He didn't say but why are you telling me to forgive him for half? Hmm? Yeah, it's my right. No. The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم is suggesting لَقَدْ فَعَلْتُ Done باب كَنْسِ الْمَسْجِدِ وَالْتِقَاطِ الْخِرَقِ wal وَالْعِيدَانِ Kans, Kans is to sweep So sweeping the masjid Whether it is with a broom or with a vacuum or whatever That you have كَنْسِ masjid. Sweeping the mosque وَالْتِقَاطِ And picking up Removing التقاط is from لُقْتَ لقطة, right? لقطة. فَالْتَقَطَهُ Yusuf عليه السلام Remember he was in the well يَلْتَقِطْهُ السَّيَّارَةُ The brothers of Yusuf عليه السلام, they said put him in the well and some sayyara will pick him up So وَالْتِقَاطِ and picking up الخِرَقِ So التقاط picking up, removing الخِرَق خراق. Rags Like for example, a person You know, they're wearing some clothes And there's maybe a piece of tissue or something Or some lining from inside that has fallen off So you see these things around, right? So, rags وَالْقَذَا qadha dirt وَالْعِيدَان Small sticks So if a person sees all of these things in the masjid What should he do? Pick it up If the floor is dirty Sweep it, vacuum it, clean it. So basically, anything that could annoy people, that makes the masjid dirty, whose duty is it to remove it, to clean the masjid? The cleaners. People who are hired for that purpose. Which is why if we see anything on the carpet, on the floor of the masjid, we say, never mind, in the evening, cleaners are going to come and they'll clean it up. That's generally what we do. I mean, I understand if there are small threads which are like stuck to the carpet, which you really have to make an effort to pick up and remove. But if there's tissue, there's garbage, then should we wait for the cleaners to pick it up? No. If you see it, especially if it's in your way, right next to you, even if somebody accidentally dropped it, which is the case most of the time, then what is our obligation that we pick it up, that we remove it? Because in the Quran Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says في بيوت adina الله أن ترفع بيوت as in masajid that ترفع they should be raised and the scholars have said that all this is part of raising meaning elevating the masjid because if a masjid is clean a masjid is kept in a good condition then it is being honored and if a masjid is dirty there is garbage all over the place then it's not being honored if you honor a place then you keep it clean And if you don't have any respect for it, then you don't bother. That not just issues, sometimes it's big things like water bottles that people don't pay much attention to. They drink some of it and they leave most of it. And there's so many water bottles that are unclaimed and you can't use it. You feel guilty getting rid of it. So many people are put in a difficult situation because of this. That the masjid and washrooms of a community, they reflect the kind of people right that what kind of people are they are they concerned about tahara are they concerned about cleanliness do they really care about the place do they take their work seriously because it's reflected in how you maintain your workplace how you maintain your place of ibadah now the masjid of the prophet sallallahu we learned about it that the roof was made of what branches and the walls were made of what mud bricks were there any doors to the masjid? No, there were no doors. Just open pathways basically. So given that the masjid was such, it was only natural that such things which are mentioned over here, whether it's khiraq or qada or idan, they would enter the masjid. You know, with the clothes of people, with the shoes of people. And many times people would pray with their shoes on. And there was no shoe racks outside the masjid of the Prophet right? So it's understood that when so many people are going in and out of the masjid, There is no door. The roof is also made of branches. Then the masjid will inevitably get dirty. And just like that, if there are a thousand people coming in and out of a building every week, then what's going to happen? Obviously, you will see signs of the building, the place being used. So this doesn't mean that we just blame people. No. Be happy that Alhamdulillah people are coming. Because there are many massages which are perfectly clean, but they're empty. So be happy about the fact that the place is full, it's busy, it is getting dirty. But as it gets dirty, what's necessary? That it's also maintained. It's also looked after. حَدَّثَنَا سُلَيْمَانُ بْنُ حَرْبٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حَمَّادُ بْنُ زَيْدٍ عَنْ سَابِتٍ عَنْ أَبِي رَافِعٍ عَنْ Abu Huraira رضي الله He said that there was a man Who was aswad, who was black أو امرأة sauda, Or there was a black woman Kana He used to or she used to al Masjid. يقم is from قاف ميم And يقم is to basically gather up rubbish So in other words to sweep So he or she would sweep the masjid All the garbage, all the rubbish That was all over the masjid She or he would pick it up and basically, clean the masjid. Famata And then he died. Or she died. Fa النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عنه So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم asked about him that where is this man? Or where is this woman? I haven't seen him in so long. Fa so the people told him, mata. He died. Or she died. qala, he said, afala kuntum. Why did you not aadantumuni? Why did you not tell me, inform me? Be he about him, meaning about his death. How come nobody told me about his death? Direct me to his grave, meaning tell me where his grave is. قبرها, or he said her grave. قبره, so he came to his grave, عليه, and then he prayed on him. Now, Abu Huraira was not sure whether this person was a man or a woman. There are other narrations which tell us that. It was actually a woman. So we see that she would clean the masjid. Was she hired? Paid for it. Her hours were decided that certain number of hours she had to spend cleaning the masjid. No. She would sweep the masjid, clean it up. Why? Because a masjid is a place of prayer. And it doesn't befit that place to be. It is not appropriate if that place is left dirty and unclean. So she would clean the masjid. And many times it happens that people who clean are not given importance by others. Right? Whether it is within a group of people you know, who are assigned various duties. One person is assigned the duty of taking phone calls. Another person is assigned the duty of serving food. Another person is assigned the duty of maintaining the cleanliness of the place, of the washrooms. What do people think? That the person who's standing in front at the phone desk or welcoming people in or serving the food, they are doing something better. And the person who is maintaining the washrooms, I've been insulted. I've been humiliated. No. This is not humiliation. This is not humiliation. This is not disgrace. It's actually an honor. Ibrahim alayhi salam. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tell him? You and your son, both of you, clean my house. Clean my house. So the Prophet of Allah was told, Ibrahim, Khalilullah was told to clean the masjid. So likewise, if we are cleaning the masjid or if somebody else is cleaning the masjid, don't look down on this work ever. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. She's mentioning that many times at conferences, at bigger events, volunteers are needed to do different, different things. And usually most of the positions get filled up very quickly. But when it comes to maintaining the halls, you know, where people are going to be sitting, listening to the dhikr of Allah, remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, maintaining them, such, or or even the washrooms or the hallways, such positions, they're left until the end, because nobody wants them. And this is true. People have to be convinced that, look, you do it, and they have to be reminded of such ahadith, that we should always remember that, who am I doing this for? For whose sake? Whose house is this? right? Whose worshippers are these? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That even the mushrikeen, they would take a lot of pride in being the maintainers of the house of Allah. So it is a noble act. Even if a person is hired to do this work, cleaning the masjid, even then it's a noble work. Because a person could be doing something else, but they're cleaning the masjid, maintaining it. So it is definitely a very noble deed. And we see the importance that the Prophet gave to this woman, or this man. First of all, he noticed that she cleans the masjid And then when she was missing Where is she? How come you did not tell me? Tell me where her grave is And the Prophet went to her grave And what do we learn over here? فَأَتَى قَبْرَهُ فَصَلَّى عَلَيْهِ What does this mean? That the Prophet came to that person's grave And prayed there Prayed what? Hmm? Janazah Or for their forgiveness But remember that this does not mean it is permissible to go and perform salah at the grave or in the graveyard all the time in the sense that any person can do it any salah no, remember that when it comes to praying at the graveyard or praying by the graves it is of different kinds the first kind is salah prayer which is performed to the one who is in the grave and this is what? shirk like, for example, a person goes by a grave, uh, does sajdah to the one in the grave, makes dua to him, talks to him, makes requests to him, asks him, you know, to do shifa for him, in- intercede for him. All of this is incorrect. Because praying to the one in the grave, that is what? Shirk. Whether it is in the form of sajda or request for shifa or whatever, it is not permissible. The second type of salah is praying to Allah near a grave, by a grave, in the graveyard. For example, Salatul Janazah. For instance, there is a person who is to be buried. People were not able to perform Salatul Janazah before bringing the body to the graveyard. So before burying the body, what do they do? They perform Janazah at the graveyard. Is that permissible? Yes, it is. Or a person died, they were buried, and somebody could not attend the funeral prayer. By the time they get to the graveyard, the funeral prayer is over and the janazah has been done. People have gone back. And now they come to the grave. Now they're just standing there. Can they perform salatul janazah over there? Yes, they can. That's exactly what the Prophet ﷺ did. That woman died. Her janazah was performed by some people at least. She was buried. The Prophet ﷺ, by the time he found out, everything was over. But he performed janazah at the graveyard. So for instance, it may happen with someone that their relative dies in a different city, in a different country or they may be traveling and by the time they get to that city the burial has been done, everything is over. So they go to the grave. They go to visit the grave to remind themselves of death but they also want to make dua for the person in the grave. Can they do that? Yes, they can. Can they perform salatul janazah over there? Yes, they can. It is permissible. Even if a person has already prayed Salatul Janazah for them, can they pray again at that site? Yes, they can. When Najashi passed away, right, the Prophet wasallam performed the Janazah. That even though he was in a different land, different country, he performed the Janazah, so that can be done. And uh, if you intended to perform Salatul Janazah with the rest of the people, let's say you're traveling, but by the time you get there, the Janazah is over. So you go to the graveyard. And by the time you get there, burial is also done. So you want to pray for them. You just got late, but you still want to pray for them, you still want the reward of performing janazah, then you can still do that at the graveyard. Bab tahrimi tijāra al-khamri fil masjid. Tahrimi. The prohibition of tijara of the trade of what? Al Khamri? Of wine, Fil Masjid in the masjid. The prohibition of wine trade in the masjid. But isn't wine trade prohibited outside the masjid as well? Yes. Wine is haram. khamr is haram. In the masjid and also outside the masjid. So you can't buy it, you can't sell it in the masjid and also outside the masjid. So what is meant by this bad? The ulama have said what Imam Bukhari means by this is dhikru تَحْرِيمُ Mentioning the tahrim. Talking about the tahrim. So in other words, the prohibition Of the various prohibited things Can they be discussed in the masjid? Haram matters Can they be discussed and clarified in the masjid? Yes they can be Because You know for example When it comes to certain animals Which are haram for consumption hmm? Pig for instance People even hesitate saying the word pig They will say P-I-G right? They hesitate even saying the word So they think that saying the word is even prohibited that even if it's mentioned in a book, they will skip the page or not mention it. Okay, it's natural that when something is haram, you dislike it, so you don't even want to talk about it. Alright. That's understood. But if you have to, you know, mention its prohibition, clarify the issue to people, can you talk about haram things in the masjid? Right? To educate the people? To explain to them the wisdom behind why it is haram? Yes. Because there are many issues which are haram, there are many evils in the society, but they're considered taboo, even to talk about. So they're not discussed. People are not informed about it. And so people continue to do these wrong things, or they continue to remain in doubt. Okay, why? Just because of ignorance. So it is necessary that haram things, they are clarified to the people, and it is even permissible to mention these things in the masjid. Haddathana Abdanu, an Abi Hamzata, an Al A'mashi, an Muslim, an Masrookin, an Aishata. Qalat, she said, Lamma unzila al ayatu when the verses were revealed, min Surat al Baqarah, in Surat al Baqarah, fi riba concerning riba. So when the verses of Surat al Baqarah concerning riba, concerning interest, when they were revealed, kharaja Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam ila al masjid. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam went to the masjid. And then he recited them to the people. Then he forbade the trade, the buying and selling of wine. Meaning at that point, he also forbade the people from buying and selling alcohol. So, what do we see here? That the Prophet conveyed the Quran. How the verses were revealed, he went and recited the verses before the people. And he made the haram. Clear to them, he's talking about riba, he's talking about wine trade in the masjid publicly. Why? To clarify these matters to the people. And there are many evils which have become common amongst Muslims. You know, whether it's pornography or other evils which have become very common, but they're not even mentioned out of haya or out of hate for these wrong things. You dislike them. You need to warn people about them, so they need to be mentioned. And sometimes it is said that no, you know, for example, Friday prayers. There's children over there as well. They're men. They're women. It's even more necessary to mention such things, because, as unfortunate as it may be, sometimes children they know about these things, or they are indulging in these wrong things even more than their parents. So it's necessary that such things are mentioned publicly, in order to create awareness. Bab al-Qadami masjid Servants for the masjid Meaning appointing people As khadim for the masjid As someone to serve the masjid As someone to maintain Look after the masjid Earlier we learned That a person does this voluntarily A great thing to do However Can a person be appointed this task? Let's say they want to volunteer okay, At a masjid And they are given the duty Of let's say cleaning the washrooms once a week. That is their duty. They are appointed to do that. Is that permissible? Yes. Or for example, someone is given the duty that you have to vacuum okay, the carpets or you have to dust the masjid or you have to fold the sheets or you have to lay the tables or you have to pick them up. All of that, is it permissible? Yes, it is. Likewise, can someone be hired for this work? Yes, they may be. They can even be paid for this. وَقَالَ Ibn عَبَّاسٍ And Ibn Abbas رضي الله عنه he said, with regards to the ayah, نَذَرْتُ لَكَ مَا فِي بَطْنِي محررا. Whose statement is this? Who said this? The mother of? Maryam. Hannah. She said, when she was expecting, she said in her dua, that, O oh Allah, I dedicate to you whatever is in my womb. muharrara, One that is set free. That's what it literally means. Hmm? One that is Dedicated. Ibn Abbas said, with regards to this ayah, lil masjidi. meaning, lil masjid for the masjid, yakhdumuhu. Who will serve it. Meaning my child, whoever this child is going to be, I dedicate this child to Allah, and this child will be at the masjid, serving the masjid. Cleaning it. Maintaining it. Looking after it. And now we see that, you know, many Masajid they are big. There are people who have been assigned certain tasks. And there are people who are hired for such work as well. But we see that many smaller masjids, what happens, they're basically families that are running the masjid, right? And it's their children who are cleaning the masjid even. I remember when I got married, my husband used to go to this masjid, which is smaller compared to many masjids. And it was his duty, once or twice a week, I don't remember exactly, with some other friends, to clean the masjid washrooms. It was their duty. They had to do it. Not just the washrooms, but also vacuum the masjid. Hmm? So we think that if our child is volunteering at the masjid, then they should be giving the adhan, right? Or they should be, you know, attending the phone calls or something like that. No, this is also a very noble thing to do. Maryam alayhi mother, what did she want? That my child should serve the masjid, should be at the masjid to clean the masjid, look after it. That's all I want. So this is something that we can also practice. (laughs) حَدَّثَنَا أَحْمَدُ بْنُ وَاقِذٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَحْمَادٌ عَنْ سَابِتٍ عَنْ أَبِي رَافِعٍ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ أَنَّمْرَأَةً أَوْ رَجُلًا Abu Huraira said that there was a man or there was a woman or a man كانت she used to تقم المسجد she used to clean the masjid وَلَا أُرَاهُ إِلَّمْرَأَةَ Abu Rafi he said that I do not think that it was any but a woman meaning I'm pretty sure. That it was a woman. فذكر حديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه صلى على قبري and then he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet that how the Prophet prayed on the grave of this person. باب الأسير أو الغريم يربط في المسجد. الأسير who Asir? ويطعمون الطعام على حبه So who Asir? A captive, a prisoner. Al a debtor Meaning someone who has taken a loan Who is supposed to return it Al-Ghari Yurbatu So asir or Gharim They are Yurbatu They are tied Where for Masjid in the Masjid? Why tied up? Imprisoned in a way So the question is That can Masjid be used as a jail? Hmm, where people are tied up They are kept For a certain amount of time Obviously there is a reason sir could be like a war captive and Gharim is someone who owes something to someone and they're not giving it back so they're tied in the masjid so that when people come to pray salah they see him and they ask what happened how come you've been tied to the pillar of the masjid and then he will eventually feel bad and return the loan now this doesn't mean that a person who is not able to return the loan he is humiliated in this way no, this is about people who are avoiding it Deliberately, who can pay it but they just don't want to and there are many people who do this there are many people who do this they keep borrowing money from others and they keep using it themselves Okay, and whenever they make more money instead of returning the loan they will go and enjoy that money even more and other people are suffering so in this case can such a person be tied up at the masjid so that others see him he feels embarrassed, humiliated and then he returns the loan yes this can be done What's the evidence? Ishaq ibn Ibrahim qala akhbarana wa Muhammad ibn Ja'far an an Muhammad ibn Ziyad an abi an al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam The Prophet وسلم, he said inna ifritan indeed an ifrit mean al-jinn from the jinn ifrit is a kind of jinn so he said there was an ifrit from the jinn that تفلت, that suddenly appeared upon me last night أو كلمة نحوها or a statement like that he said. that the Prophet he was praying salah and irfreet from the jinn, he suddenly appeared before him. And in the narration of Muslim, we learn that uh, he came with some fire to harm the Prophet So what happened? لِيَقْطَعَ Why did that Ifreet come like this? لِيَقْطَعَ So that he would cut on me a salata, the prayer Meaning that he would Interrupt my prayer He appeared before me suddenly To interrupt my prayer So that I won't be able to focus on my prayer فَأَمْكَنَنِ اللَّهُ منه So Allah He gave me authority over him Meaning Allah gave me power over him In other words The Prophet ﷺ captured him فَأَرَدْتُ This is just like someone tries to come and Distract you and then you Just grab them by their neck So you've caught them They cannot escape so, فَامْكَنَنِ اللَّهُ مِنْهُ, obviously it was a jinn, we don't know how exactly, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam authority over that jinn. فَأَرَدْتُ, so I intended, أَنْ أَرْبِطَهُ, that I should tie him up, إِلَى سَارِيَةٍ to a pillar, من سَوَارِ الْمَسْجِد, from the pillars of the masjid. I intended to tie him to one of the pillars of the masjid. حَتَّى تُصْبِحُ until you all would come in the morning, وَتَنْظُرُوا إِلَيْهِ, and you would look at him, kulukum, all of you. Meaning if the Prophet ﷺ had tied him to the pillar of the masjid, the people would actually come and see that jinn. In what form? a'lam But we know that jinn sometimes, they can take certain forms which human beings can see. In the Qur'an we learn that, إِنَّهُ يَرَاكُمْ هُوَ وَقَبِيلُهُ مِنْ حَيْثُ لَا تَرَوْنَهُمْ They see you, but you don't see them. However, sometimes jinn do come in an appearance in which human beings can see them. Remember the story of Abu Raira ﷺ? That how shaitan came to him in the form of a boy, but he had like paws, like that of a dog. So a very different appearance, but some appearance. So the Prophet ﷺ said, حَتَّىٰ تُصْبِحُوا وَتَنظُرُوا إِلَيْهِ كُلُّكُمْ فَذَكَرْتُ Then I remembered, قَوْلَ أَخِي The statement of my brother Sulaiman. Sulaiman عليه salam. His dua. Which dua? That رَبِّ هَبْلِي مُلْكًا Oh my Lord, grant me Kingdom, kingship, authority لا ينبغي لأحد من بعدي, Which will not be given to anyone after me And we know that Sulaiman عليه السلام, He was given this unique quality Of what? Of sultā over the jinn Of authority over the jinn And this was a unique quality given to him So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, He did not capture that jinn Why? In regard in respect for the du'a of Sulaiman that this is something he wanted exclusively for himself. Amazing that even though the Prophet s.a.w. did have that ability, but he let that jinn go because, because what? Sulaiman's wish would not come true. Right? I mean obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gave the Prophet s.a.w. that ability. But he did not take it. Why? He did not use it. Why? In regard for the du'a of Salam. What do we do? Somebody has something, we get jealous. We get offended. We get angry. Why do they have it? How come I cannot have it? And we think about ways of getting it, and we think about ways of making them lose it. Hmm? But look at how the Prophet how much he cared for others. This was his great akhlaq. So anyway... He let that jinn go. قَالَ رَوْحٌ رَوْحَ سَدْ فَرَدَّهُ خَاسِئًا So, that jinn, he went off in disgrace. Meaning he was defeated and humiliated. Now, the bab is الْأَسِيرِ أو gharimi Captive or the debtor. Tying them both. And in this hadith, captive is mentioned. Okay, because that jinn would be a captive if the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم tied him to the pillar of the masjid. Right? But the debtor is not mentioned. So where does Imam Bukhari derive this from? That a debtor can also be tied up in the masjid. How? Qiyas. This is analogy. That if a captive can be for some crime that he has committed, then a debtor can also be for a crime that he is committing. What crime is he committing? Running away with somebody's money and not giving it. Right? Not returning it. So it's similar. The situation of both the individuals is similar. That both are committing a crime, so they can be tied to the masjid, so that they will stop their crime. Now, one thing that I'd like to mention to you over here, that the Prophet ﷺ, he overcame the jinn, and he had the ability to tie him to the masjid. What does it show? The strength of the Prophet ﷺ. How strong he was, not just physically, but internally, emotionally, mentally. That Imagine he is praying and all of a sudden a jinn appears before him, trying to harm him. Hmm? If you were in a situation like that, what would you do? Break your prayer and run away. Or start screaming. Let me share with you the hadith of Muslim. It's a little bit more elaborate. And I'd like to talk about this just because it's something that we think about, we get afraid of, and we don't want to think about it then. But we should be aware of what to do in a situation like this. The Prophet, ﷺ, we learned that he stood up to pray, and the Sahaba said that we heard him saying, I seek refuge in Allah from you. Imagine the Prophet was praying, and all of a sudden he says, I seek refuge with Allah from you. And then he said, I curse you with Allah's curse. He said this three times. And then he stretched out his hand as though he was taking hold of something. When he finished the prayer, the Sahaba they said, O Messenger of Allah, we heard you say something during the prayer which we have not heard you say before. And we saw you stretch out your hand. He replied, Allah's enemy Shaytan came with a flame of fire to put it in my face. So I said three times, I seek refuge in Allah from you. billahi Mink. And then I said three times, I curse you with Allah's full curse. أَلْعَنُكَ بِلَعْنَةِ But he did not retreat on any of these three occasions. Thereafter, I meant to seize him. This is where we learned that Allah gave him power over him. And I swear by Allah, that had it not been for the supplication of my brother Sulaiman, he would have been bound and made an object of sport for the children of Medina. Meaning the children of Medina would actually come and play with him. Hmm? That tied up to the pillar of the masjid, unable to do anything to save himself, and the children of Medina would come in, see him and play with him. So anyway, what do we learn from this Hadith that if ever a person is in a situation where Shaitan bothers him, tries to frighten him, whether it's with some voice or with some sudden appearance or something, what should a person do instantly? Shaytan Rajim and say it out loud. And be confident. Be strong in your heart. That shaitan cannot harm you unless and until Allah wills. And seek help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you at that time. Think of shaitan as anything that's dangerous. Like for example, if there's a snake, there's a really huge spider that looks scary. A mouse that many people are afraid of. So if there's anything that's dangerous, that's coming towards you, to attack you, to harm you, then what do you do? you do something to protect yourself. Whether it is that you get up and you leave, whatever that you can do, you do something to save yourself. If you just start screaming over there, or you start panicking over there, it's not going to help you. So just like that, if a shaitan bothers you, tries to hurt you, tries to harm you, whether you're asleep, or you're in your bed, or you're praying salah, you're alone somewhere, or you're in public, wherever. أعوذ من... This is your protection. This is your protection from shaitan. Immediately say, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم. And we see the Prophet وسلم said, I curse you with Allah's full curse. Meaning I use Allah's help over here. That may Allah's curse be on you. أَلْعَانُكَ بِلَعْنَةِ And he said it three times out loud. Imagine he's praying. And he said it out three times. So likewise, don't just say in your heart Say it out loud Read the Quran, read Ayatul Kursi out loud Because this is your greatest defense and protection From the evil of Shaytan So this happened in her dream She's mentioning about a sister who saw in her dream That Shaytan was chasing her It looked like a, a camel, you said And she said, I will read Ayatul Kursi And it said that no, it will not do anything but she said, no, I will read it anyway. So she read Ayatul Kursi and she said by the time she ended, al that thing that it just exploded. And after that, nothing like this again. So many times we have a bad dream like this or we have an experience, you know we hear something, you know, we get afraid. And it's natural. But take help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words and follow the way of the Prophet sallallahu Al wa بَاب إِذَا أَسْلَمَ الْأَسِيرِ أيضًا فِي الْمَسْجِدِ al-iqtisal, taking a bath, washing the whole body, when, ida aslama, when a person becomes a Muslim, warabd asiri and also tying up prisoners, aydhan uh, also, fil masjid, in the masjid. وَكَانَ الشُّرَيْحٌ And Shuraih he used to ya'muru, he used to order al-gharima, the debtors, an-yuhbasa, that they should be bound ila sariyat al-masjid, to a pillar in the masjid. He said that a debtor who was refusing to return the loan, how should he be dealt with? That he should be tied to one of the pillars of the masjid so that he would feel embarrassed and eventually return okay, the loan. These days what happens? That if a person hasn't paid a bill or something, then they give your name and your contacts to who? Collections. Right? And they call you and they harass you. They, they keep mailing you. Reminding you again and again, so this is a way, right? And this is also a way that which we learn over here. حدثنا عبد الله بن يوسف قال حدثنا الليث قال حدثنا سعيد أبي سعيد سمع هريرة قال بعث النبي He said the Prophet sent horsemen <laughs> in the direction of Najd. <laughs> so it came, meaning that group of horsemen, they returned, Bi with a man, Bimbani Hanifa of Banu Hanifa. lahu, who was called Sumama Tubn Utalin. Sumama Ibn Uthal. Remember his story? So that is mentioned briefly over here. So this group of companions whom the Prophet sent in the direction of Najd, they went, they perhaps had, you know, came across some people and captured one man who was called Sumama bin Uthal and they brought him to Medina with them. Because he had done many wrong things against the Muslims. فَرَبَطُوهُ So they tied him Bisariyatin to a pillar من الْمَسْجِد of the pillars of the masjid. So basically they tied him to one of the pillars. فَخَرَجَ إِلَيْهِ النَّبِيُّ So the Prophet came out to him. Meaning from his house he came out to see him. فَقَالَ And then eventually he said أَطْلِقُوا Untie him. Meaning let him go. Let Sumama go. And this happened when? Immediately? No. After a couple of days. Because the Prophet ﷺ asked him, and then he said, if you kill me, then... You know, he mentioned a couple of things, but one of the things that he mentioned was that if you set me free, then uh, you'll find me grateful or, or something to that effect. So eventually the Prophet said, let him go. أَطْلِقُوا ثُمَامًا فَانْطَلَقَ So Thumama, when he was set free, what did he do? He went إلى نَخْلٍ قَرِيبٍ to some palm trees that were near. So basically an oasis... Min al-Masjid, that was close to the masjid. Fa'qtasala. And then he took a bath. Thumma دخل al-Masjid. Then he entered the masjid. Faqala. And then he said, Ashhhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa anna Muhammad al الله I bear witness that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu الله عليه وسلم is the Messenger of Allah. Meaning he became Muslim. Why? Because he saw how the Prophet sallallahu الله عليه وسلم actually was, how the Muslims actually were. Because when he was far away, his enmity was based on what? Ignorance. But when he was in Medina, in the masjid, he saw how well he was treated and how the Prophet spoke to him and how eventually he was just freed. So this showed to him the truthfulness of Islam. So he went, took a bath, returned and proclaimed his Shahada in front of everybody. And from this we see that what Imam Bukhari has mentioned that when a person becomes Muslim then they take a bath. But remember this is mustahab, not wajib. It's not mandatory, it is better is why we see that at many occasions the Prophet Wasallam did tell people that they should take a bath, but not every occasion, because it depends on what state the person has been in. I mean, this man, Thumama, he was a captive for several days. So obviously his state was such that it required a bath from him. And one more thing we see in this hadith is that uh, when he became Muslim, he announced it. Where? In the masjid. So from this the scholars say that if a person becomes a Muslim then that should be announced at the masjid. Why? Why? So that people know that this individual is now a Muslim. Otherwise how will the people know? Also one more thing we learn is that a non-Muslim may enter the masjid. Because this is something that we are not confident about many times. That if we hear that there are non-Muslims in the masjid we are not 100% comfortable Or some people are not comfortable. So now we know, based on this hadith, that a non-Muslim can enter the masjid. He can even go to the place where the people are performing salah because the pillar was where? In the middle of the masjid. Not the back. Obviously the pillar was supporting the roof. So it had to be somewhere in the middle. And there wasn't just one pillar, many pillars. So one of them, mamma, was tied to. So this shows that a non-Muslim may enter the masjid. Scholars have set certain conditions That only, you know, in certain situations they may enter. Like for example, they have said that when there is some benefit for the masjid. So for example, a person is hired, an almasan is hired to, let's say, paint the masjid. Is that permissible? Yes. Can they enter the masjid to paint it? Yes. Even though they are not in the state of cleanliness, obviously you cannot apply the rules of Tahara to them. Likewise, they have said that if they want to come and learn about Islam, so they want to come to the masjid, listen to the khutbah, listen to the Qur'an, watch the Muslims pray, definitely it's allowed, right? So it could be some benefit for themselves, some benefit for the masjid. As long as it is with the approval of the Muslims, their permission, scholars have said, it is allowed. Why approval and permission of the Muslims? So that because when the approval, when the permission is there, then uh, first of all, the people of the masjid, they don't feel threatened. Okay, that how come, who's this person, what are they doing over here? There is also some kind of agreement, right? Communication between the two, in the sense that the non-Muslims, they know what what not to do in the masjid or what to do in the masjid. Like, for example, if a person just walks in, right? And they're walking in with their shoes, for instance. But if there has been some communication, which is true for the majority of the cases, then what happens? That they're informed that you're not to be talking loudly when the people are praying or when the sermon is going on, there's communication. Then people are made aware of what to do and what not to do. But regardless of the conditions, remember that non-Muslims are allowed to enter the masjid. There are many incidents where uh, we learn that people did come to the masjid. Hmm? Delegations would come. Also, people would come to speak to the Prophet ﷺ. Remember that after the Battle of Badr, when there were many captives, Their family members, they came to pay the ransom So that their relatives could be set free And where did they come? To meet the Prophet The masjid For many reasons they would come To seek the judgment of the Prophet And even today, they may come for various reasons As long as there is communication It's perfectly fine Obviously, I mean, they're not going to be praying the salatul janazah But they can be there Yes, they can be present One more hadith we can do inshallah quickly بَابَ الْخَيْمَةِ فِي الْمَسْجِدِ للمرضى وَغَيْرِهِمْ الْخَيْمَةِ A tent. Where? في Masjid In the masjid. For the sick people وَغَيْرِهِمْ And others. Meaning if there is a sick person and they want to be at the masjid, can a tent be put up for them so that they can stay in that tent? Yes. So in other words, can a masjid be used as a temporary clinic or a temporary hospital or something like that? It may be. It can be. Definitely. Because in fact it's easier. Why? Because there are people coming and going. They can attend to the sick people much easily. And also we see that doctor's offices are almost in every building. I remember I was at a museum recently and uh, we had to pray salah. So we asked the management where we could pray. And they told us that when the security guard comes, ask him to open the first aid room for you. So imagine this is a museum find even went into that room there was a bed over there you know many things over there just because anybody can have a serious injury it's a public place so there's no harm in having a separate doctor's room so just like that in a masjid can there be a bed or a couch so that a sick person can lie down over there and if a person is sick and they go and lie down in the masjid on a couch or even on the floor of the masjid yes they can there's no harm in that as long as the sickness is genuine. حدثنا Zakariya ابن يحيى قال حدثنا عبد الله بن نمير قال حدثنا هشام عن أبيه عن عائشة قالت she said he was hit who سعد سعد رضي الله عنه this is سعد بن معاذ يوم الخندق on the day of في Akhal in Al Akhal. what Akhal? Akhal is said that it is an artery which is in the arm so. He got hit on his arm and his artery in particular. So obviously, if he got injured, wounded over there, you can imagine how much he was bleeding. فَضَرَبَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وسلم So the Prophet put خَيْمَةً في المسجد, in the masjid, مِنْ قريبين So that he could attend to him from near, meaning he could keep a close eye on him. And this shows how beloved sa bin and who was to the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ wanted him to be in the masjid so that he could keep a, keep an eye on him himself. He could attend to him himself. So it did not frighten them. Who them? It's mentioned later. fil bani And in the masjid was also a tent that belonged to who? Banu ghifar So some people from Banu ghifar they also had a tent in the masjid. So many tents in the masjid. We learn about that woman who had a tent in the masjid. And we learn about Sa'ad bin Mu'azudullah who was sick. So he had a tent. And then Banu Ghifar, they had a tent in the masjid. So anyway, but Banu Ghifar, they did not get afraid except a damu By the blood. Which blood? That was Yasilu ilayhim That was flowing towards them. Meaning everything was fine. Until when the Banu Rifar when they saw all that blood flowing towards them, they got afraid. Afraid for who? Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. Okay, that where is all this blood coming from? Imagine if you see blood flowing literally on the ground. Would you not get afraid? So they got afraid. فَقَالُوا So they said, Ya أَهْلَ الْخَيْمَةِ O person who is in the khayma, in the tent, مَا هَذَا الَّذِي يَأْتِينَ مِنْ قِبَلِكُمْ What is this that's coming to us? From you, meaning from your direction. Meaning, what is all this blood that is flowing towards us? From you, meaning from your tent. فَإِذَا So when they saw, it was سَعْدٌ يَغْذُو يَغْذُو means to flow, to bleed. He was bleeding. What was bleeding? جُرْحُهُ His جُرْح, his wound, Daman. So much blood. Meaning, when they saw, it was bin مُعَدٌ whose wound was bleeding profusely. So he died in it. Meaning in that khaymah or because of that illness. And Sa'ad bin Mu'aza remember that he was the companion who when he passed away we learned at the throne of Allah even shook. What a great rank he had near Allah and near his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa He was actually one of the leaders of the Ansar of his tribe. And we learned that how he got injured at Khandaq and remember that he is the one who made the verdict concerning the Banu Quraidah because of their treachery with the Prophet ﷺ. Because the Banu Quraidah, they said that we will only accept Sa'ad bin Mu'adh's verdict concerning us because, you know, for their treachery. So he made that verdict and after that he passed away. So we learn over here that a person who is sick may stay at the masjid and it's understood that when a person is sick, injured in this manner, then there will be blood, such bodily excretions and they are not najis. Remember that when it comes to impure uh, excretions of the body there are only that which comes from the private part. Okay? Other than that whether it's blood or it is saliva, even vomit, it's not najis. Okay? It's not impure. So if it falls to the ground, if it falls on the clothes of a person, it's flowing literally on the ground of the masjid, it's not a problem. Remember the hadith where the Bedouin came and urinated in the masjid. What happened? It was not tolerated at all. It was immediately washed off. Right? But over here, we don't see that because he was his wound was bleeding so much he was taken out of the masjid. No, he was still kept in the masjid, which means that blood is not impure. And so a sick person can come to the masjid. And in fact, they should. Because sometimes, you know, if there's a person who is unwell, may have a disability, they may have the need to, for instance, spit out You know, excessively and and continuously, people may, you know, they feel uncomfortable around them or they feel that they're making the masjid dirty. Or a person may have had a serious surgery and as a result they have a, you know, a bag that collects their urine and they may feel uncomfortable going to the masjid. They can go to the masjid, they should go to the masjid. Just take care of Tahara, but they should be at the masjid because a masjid is a place of worship, of connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meeting other people. So, Everyone is welcome over there. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.